0: From time to time, I am asked by various ones if I will preach a lesson on a particular topic. Generally, if it's a shorter one, I will try to do those on our question-and-answer times. However, this was one that I felt deserved a whole lesson, and I was asked if I would address if judging was right or wrong. When I was asked that question, I said yes. And uh, most people would say, well... Uh, explain a little bit more, and that's what we're going to do in our lesson tonight. Have you ever heard someone say, you have no right to judge me, you judgmental person? I've heard that more than once. And generally what we will often respond is, are you judging me for judging? Because if you're rebuking me and saying you're doing wrong by judging you're doing exactly the same thing. And in that case, I'm not the hypocrite. You're the hypocrite in doing this. Or have you pointed out a sin that's in a person's life or more often in their friends' or their family's life and result in the statement being made to you, the Bible says, judge not, that you be not judged. And I have heard that more often than not. One of the sisters here in the congregation gave me the contents of a fortune cookie a few weeks ago. And it said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. And I said, you know, I don't know if that's right. In fact, I don't think that's right. So is the question, is judging right or wrong? Well, obviously, if we have already read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, we're going to study Matthew chapter 7. And what I want us to do is to really look at those first five verses and look at the rebuke and ridicule that the Lord heaps upon those false ones in His audience, their misunderstanding of how judging ought to be. But then I want us to go down to verses 15 through 20, and look at reason and revelation. And what does God say there? And then finally, a response or a lessons to learn in all of this. Let me point out before we actually start that when we study a subject from God's Word, we must take all that He has to say on the subject. Let me give you a really good illustration. In fact, if you just back up a couple of chapters or so to Matthew chapter 4, you will... In the middle of the Lord's temptation by Satan, you will hear Satan quote scripture to Jesus. The devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels charge over you, and into their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now there are several things that you and I could learn from this, but one of the first things we learn is that a person has to realize that not all of God's teaching is found in one passage. And that another passage may limit or explain what is meant by a passage, and such is the case here. So that when the devil quotes scripture, he's not using it as God intended it. So it's very possible as you and I approach Matthew chapter 7, that people are using it not as God intended it. Matthew 7, Now I'm going to pick up with verse 2 and go through verse 5. And point out that this is a humorous illustration that rebukes and ridicules those who were hypocritical and hypercritical in their actions. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know that our Lord was reared as a carpenter. And as a carpenter, there were certain things that they would naturally deal with on a regular basis. One would be a speck of sawdust or moat. The other would be a large piece of wood, a plank or a beam, but a very large piece of wood here. Now, in our world today, if you get ready, they'll always tell you, put your eye protection on and have eyeglasses back during those days. And if a man was sawing wood and the wind was blowing, it'd be very easy for him to get a speck of sawdust in his eye. And so the Lord is going to use something that is common, they could understand, yet at the same time was rather humorous. To talk about a person having a plank in their eye is a figure of speech called hyperbole, an over-exaggeration for the purpose of emphasis. We use that in all the time in our society today. We say that somebody is making a mountain out of a molehill. You see, right now in the backyard behind my house, there's all these little humps of dirt because there's moles in my yard. With their little small ones. In fact, you can take your foot and stomp on them and level them back out. Some people are able to take little bitty things and exaggerate them, make them large. And the Lord's trying to do that by comparing sins to specks of sawdust and a plank of wood. Let me give you a good illustration. In Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, he said, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not left the others, or without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now you can see the Lord here pointing out that just like a person would try to strain out the little smallest gnat, while at the same time swallowing the camel, hyperbole, over-exaggeration. But what they were doing, they were taking little things like their herbs that they would grow perhaps in the windows of their home, and they would take them and they'd say, okay, now I've got these little seeds about the size of pepper, and I'm going to make sure that for every ten pieces of pepper, I'm going to give the Lord one of those. They were making little things very large while neglecting the major things see, the Bible also uses ridicule. Why would the Lord use hyperbole? Why would he use this to try to illustrate how silly their actions really were? When I think about ridicule in the Bible, there are several illustrations come to mind, but I think particularly of what Job said in Job 16. You remember his three friends, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar? You know why they came? They came and sat with him for a number of days to encourage him, to to help him, to comfort him because of the loss of his children, the loss of his wealth, and because of the loss of his health. They were there to cheer him up. And you get to Job 16, and Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Can you imagine going to the hospital and uh being there and having to go through something very serious and someone coming in and saying, you know, I had a friend like that and he died of it. Or somebody comes in and says to you, Said, Boy, you look awful. You look like somebody who is who's, you know, just got one foot in the grave already. With friends like that, who needs enemies? Job says, you're miserable comforters. He says, if I was in your place, I could heap words on you too. Perhaps the most humorous of those is when Elijah's on the top of Mount Carmel. And you remember, they had decided that who's ever God answered by fire. You build this altar and the fire of God's supposed to come down and the prophets of Baal were dancing around theirs and they were doing everything. And Elijah's sitting on the side over here and he's ridiculing them. He said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or he perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. I remember the first time that Tim and I went to Israel. Our tour guide was talking about that when we were on top of Mount Carmel. And he said, you do know what going on a journey means. Most of us think, well, you, you've gone on a Said so that's a euphemism in Hebrew for you got to go to the bathroom. You see, Elijah was really ridiculing them. Maybe your God's in the bathroom and he needs to be called. But you see, here's the problem they're being hypocrites. And in verse 2, the Lord explains the measure that you use is going to be measured back to you. And what they were trying to do is use one standard for their lives and use another standard for someone else's or your life. Jesus had told them in Matthew 5, 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be better than they are. In Luke 6 and verse 38, he tells them not to judge or they will be judged. And he says, condemn not nor and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then, verse 38 Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's interesting how sometimes people want one set of standards applied to them and some to someone else. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 18, Paul would say, we dare not class or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The truth is, if I'm always comparing myself to myself, you know how I'm going to come up? I'm just fine. But verse 18 says, not the one who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. You see, there's so many passages in the Bible that talks about the measures and the weights. He said, you don't have differing weights in your bags, a heavy and a light. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they're both alike. An abomination of the Lord, Proverbs 20.10. People whose scales are not equal. You see, we, we want our set of... Standards for us, but not for someone else. And you see, you can illustrate it with the life of the Jews. Their view of the Gentiles was the Gentiles were just unholy, ungodly people who could never be acceptable to God. And in Romans chapter 2, he said, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. From whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself For you who judge, practice the same things. You see, a Jew would say, Oh, I can lie, but that's not too bad. You lie, and that shows you're a heathen. You get down to verses 21 through 23. You teach another, do you not teach yourself? You preach the man should not steal, do you steal? You say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? He goes on and points out that some people participate in the same sins which they commit. Ezekiel 16 52 God speaking to Judah says, You who judge your sisters, bear your own shame also, because the sins which you were committed were more abominable than theirs. God said you look at other people and you judge them and you're doing the same thing. So a person says, well, I guess then we better not judge. When you drop down to verses 15 through 20 though, you come and you find that the Lord is saying we must be a discerning people with regards to right versus wrong and good versus evil and good people versus bad people. Listen to the Lord. "'Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, "'but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. "'You will know them by their fruits. "'Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? "'Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, "'but a bad tree bears bad fruit. "'A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit.' Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. That's pretty plain. In fact, I'd suggest to you that's where the Lord corrects the possible misunderstanding of verses 1 through 5. If you could not discern whether a person's behavior or their teaching was false, how could you know a false teacher? If you could not be able to discern, or let's use this word, judge a man's actions, how could you ever correct someone who had sinned? Or even if you can't judge, how could you even correct it in yourself? You know Galatians 6 and verse 1 says, if a man is overtaken in a trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one. If I can't judge, I can't tell whether or not a man is overtaken in a trespass. In First Corinthians chapter 6, you have a situation of brethren going to law with one another. And Paul says, and even that before unbelievers. And then he rebukes them by saying, verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world and that the world will be judged by you? Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things that pertain to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one, who is able to judge between brethren? Is there not a a brother in the congregation who is able to say, this is right and this is wrong? You can't find that. Matthew chapter 12, verses 41 and 42. The Lord is trying to talk about the way people have received him. And he's talking about the people of the past and what it's going to be like on the day of judgment. Now I want you to notice there's a word that's going to be used in this context. and It's the word condemn. Now in our English language you see the word judge and you see the word condemn and you think, oh, those are just two totally different but do you know they're based off the same original word? And when you get to Matthew 12, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it or judge it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed one greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed one greater than Solomon is here. Hebrews 11:7. 7. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness which is according to faith. You say, well, I'm starting to see that There is a time, there is a place for a person to be discerning, to be a judge with regards to things that are righteous. Well, I've got to step back for just a moment and say, if I'm following scripture, I'm reason and revelation, when is it that I am able to make righteous judgment Whenever our judgment is based on prejudice or even insufficient evidence, then you and I are not doing it right. John 7 and verse 24, Jesus said, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Have you ever been guilty? I have. If someone walks into the assembly and you think, there's no substance to them. And to find out that those people have a much greater Bible knowledge than you ever thought they did. Have you ever looked at a person and say, they'll never believe. They'll never become a child of God. And then step back and say, here they come down the aisle. Or they were baptized last night. In Acts chapter 28... You remember Paul after his shipwreck, they were washed up on the shore and they were cold and they started to build a fire. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped from the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. You see, they had judged him as a murderer then verse 5, it says, But he shook off the creature in the fire and suffered no harm. However, when they were expecting, he would swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw so no harm come to him, they changed their mind and decided he was a god. Both of those were wrong. But you see, sometimes we judge on the basis of insufficient evidence. Sometimes we also put ourselves in God's place as the ultimate judge. You know, we look at people and we say that they're not worthy of life. In James 4, verse 11, he says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil or his brother and judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you are a judge of the law and not a doer of the law, but a judge... Here's an interesting situation. When James is speaking about people who are judging the law, they're looking at their fellow man and they're saying, he's got to do this and he's got to do that. And I know God's law says this, but I think he needs to do this too. You remember Acts 5 when they were saying the man had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses or he couldn't be saved? In doing that, they were actually judging God's law and saying, God's law is not enough. Needs to be a little stricter than that. And then there's times when people judge God's law and say, you know, I believe that you've got to add a little to it. In Romans chapters 14 and 15, there was a real problem at Rome, as there were among many of the Gentile congregations that there were people saying, you can't eat certain meats. You remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4? He said in the last days, you know, there's going to be uh, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And he says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And you get to Romans 14 and people are judging one another acceptable to God or not acceptable to God, on personal choices. Chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able to, made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Dropping down to verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? And if you drop down, if you'll notice in verse 13... Let's not judge one another anymore or rather resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Paul is talking about the eating of meats. I may look at this man and say, he's a nut. And I may say, I can do anything I want to do. But then I, I realize I'm not walking in love. I'm not actually concerned about his Soul, I'm more concerned about myself. And I've judged him not worth as much as I am. And his soul not as important as my soul. You see, that's when I put myself in God's place and I start saying this one's worth more than this one is. And this one over here is not worth as much. And James chapter 2 talks about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 5, the Corinthians were looking at Paul and they were judging him. And Paul says, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I know nothing against myself yet. I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light both the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. You see, what they were doing, they were judging Paul's motives. Here's a person out here who commits a sin. Well, he knew better than doing that. Well, I don't know where he knew better or not. In fact, that's not righteous judgment because I don't know all the facts in that. Let me offer about six different observations from this. Quite often we judge people harshly because we think it makes us look better. And it doesn't. It makes us look little. It makes us look petty. When we look at someone else and we see a sin in their life and we highlight it, it doesn't make us look better. It makes us look worse. Number two, we magnify the sins of others while we minimize our own. For instance, they committed a sin, but I made a mistake. We impugn the motives of other people to say they didn't do it with a righteous reason or with a, with a good intent. You think about the Apostle Paul. He said in Acts 23 verse 1, I've lived with a good conscience before God until this day. Someone had looked at Paul's life, they might have said, no, no, he couldn't have a good attitude or righteous desire to serve God. Number three, when it comes to the measure, we want justice for them and we want mercy for ourselves. I think it's interesting, Matthew 18 And Jesus talks in a parable and he says, Then his master, after he had called him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? We ought to treat people the way we ourselves want to be treated by God. Number four one must first take care of his own spiritual situation before addressing the failures of others. That's a biblical principle that's found in numerous places. But the Lord said, First, cast the beam or remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly. Do you see the the double metaphor there? You get that out of the way, then you can see clearly to help someone else remove that from their eye. Number five, one must be sure of all the facts and then be merciful in any correction. You look at your brother, you think the best of him, you make sure that you know the facts. I remember years ago I was visiting with another man and there was this family had not been coming to church regularly. And as we arrived at the house, um, the other person was telling me what all they were going to say to this person. They were basically going to rebuke them and tell them they needed to get themselves back in church and be faithful. And I said, you really ought to ask them first if anybody's been sick in the family. And I thought he would probably take that suggestion as a good one, and but he didn't. We went in and, why have y'all not been a... Why have y'all been unfaithful? you you ought to be in church. You know you ought to be in church. And he said, well, brother, if you'd come and checked on me, you'd have known I'd been sick. Sometimes we need to make sure we know all the facts before we attempt to try to correct someone. And then even then, we ought to be merciful and, and kind and gentle, is Galatians 6 and verse 1. God expects Christians to discern And care enough to correct. That is to look and see, and if they see there's a way in which their brother, their sister has fallen, we ought to care enough about them to try to help them and try to correct. God is going to be man's ultimate judge. I do know that God is a perfect God, He is going to be righteous, He is going to be fair. And it's going to be tempered with his mercy. I am thankful that God is merciful. Do you remember Matthew 18? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You remember how the, the Pharisee prayed with himself? But do you remember what the tax collector said? He will not even raise his head to God, face to God. But beat himself on the breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But you know, I shouldn't presume upon God's mercy. I shouldn't say, okay, God's going to just let everything slide. No, that's not what the scriptures teach at all. In fact, you can't hide things from God. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 said, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil, I can imagine the day of judgment and how tense it's probably going to be for many of us as God rehearses our lives before us and God exposes all of those things that have been wrong and He, the perfect and ultimate judge, looks at our life. Seek forgiveness while willing to be forgiving toward others as well. Tonight, if you need to become a Christian, God loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son for you, John 3 and verse 16. But He did that for those who would believe that Jesus is the Christ. Those who would repent of their sins, confess their faith in Him and be baptized. Those were the Lord's commands. And in order to receive forgiveness, we must do what God tells us to do. If you're one of God's children and you look at your life and you say, you know what, I've judged everybody but myself. And I've looked at everybody else's needs but my own and I recognize now I'm the one who needs to correct things in my life. What a wonderful privilege we have. So if you need to respond, please come while we sing together this song.